What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thank you for joining us. Very excited today. We got Jason Gregor, host of Daily Faceoff, dailyfaceoff.com, if you want to check that out. It's an awesome, awesome podcast. I've listened to it a few times. Very, very insightful. Jason, thanks for uh, coming on with us, my friend. Hey, John, I love it. I've had you on my, my radio show for many years and in the past, so it's, uh, it's good to be on yours now. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. Well, it's good. It just comes full circle. Now I'm going to be interviewing you. It's going to be great. I can put you on the, the hot spot and watch you squirm a little bit because gosh, I hate getting interviewed sometimes. It's absolutely the worst. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you don't have an answer. You're just like, I got to be entertaining. I got to do something. That's when you put your foot in your mouth. So hopefully I can return the favor tonight during this interview. So we had Jason on. We're like, listen, we'll talk about the Oilers. It'll be great. We'll, we'll break down the, the playoff matchup that they're probably going to see it'll be awesome we'll talk about Connor mcdavid mike smith having a you know resurrecting his career and then all of a sudden tom wilson the new york rangers it's just been a whirlwind it's been a soap opera the last 48 hours of stuff happening george peros doesn't suspend him he gets a fine next thing you know the whole front office is leaving because james dolan releases this statement and they're jumping ship the gm and the president because they don't want to be associated with that they want to work again in the nhl it's, it's been it's been insane jason have you ever seen anything like this honestly i haven't like it it was crazy today and you know, they say that this decision with the GM and, and uh, present uh, was coming sooner. Who knows if that's true, but you know, coincidental, the optics, it's crazy. Like Tom Wilson is just running the show of the New York Rangers organization uh, in a way right now, but uh, you know, and Gordon's done a good job there. Like you look at the Zabanadat Jad trade, he signs Panarin trades for Adam Fox. Like, you know, Truba hasn't necessarily worked out as well at $8 million, but you know, the Ryan Strom trade, was a steal so he's made some really good moves for that team and you know I, I don't think they were built perfectly yet that you know they have to tweak some things but they've got the hard parts like they've got the skill positions built so uh chris drury comes in as a uh, you know in a it's rare to inherit a good team right usually you get the gm or coaching job of a bad team for the most part so drury comes in he's put in a lot of work it's not like this is a guy who just you know hasn't been in management for a few years so i'll be curious to see what this means for david quinn in the off season usually a new gm likes to bring his own guy but you know what i'll be honest john i like a little drama in sports sports is supposed to be entertainment and you know, people are going to dislike and, and, and villains are great for the league. And there's Wilson's a, a villain and mo people can really hate him. He's a good player though. And, uh, you know, Ray Ferraro said it best. He goes, he hated guys like Wilson, guys who could play, but then also run you over. He goes like the heavyweights were, he goes like, they would beat me up for fun. So I didn't really worry about them, but I worried about guys like Tom Wilson because he plays 15, 18, 19 minutes a night, scores you 20 goals. And then we'll snap and do something stupid. And, and those guys are, are probably hard for skill players to adapt to because they play different than the, than the big true heavyweights do. Yeah. It, it's, it's so true. And just going back to the Rangers, it's funny that they fight. This is not a firing because of how the season went, because they were in the middle of a four-year rebuild. They had the infamous letter in 2018 where they just basically said, listen, we're going to we're gonna rebuild. We're going to trade everybody. We're going to lose all our familiar faces. And Gordon did a great job. I was there when he was there. He was just taking the reins from Glenn Sather. 
he transitioned this team into a, a really dangerous team going forward. They got lucky in the lottery. They picked some high-end talent in Capo Caco and Lafreniere. And gosh, they're going to be an exciting team next year. And what? who's the bad guy in New York now? Because these two guys, jump, they jump ship, the GM and the, and the, uh, the president. Who comes out the winner here? Obviously, Chris Drury does. He turned down other management jobs throughout the years just because he, he I think he wants to be in New York. He's been working yeah. with Hartford for years now. Who is the bad guy? Is it Davidson? Is it Gordon? Is it James Dolan for firing these two guys because they didn't work? Did they really fire him or did they resign? I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but just from an outside perspective, like what's the status in New York right now? Who Who's coming out smelling like roses and who's, who's, well, who's the bad guy? I think it's going to be James Dolan without question. People are going to look at this and say, Hey, what are you doing? But you know, what's, what's funny about it is that the Rangers have success next year. And, and because they're, you're right. Like they've been built to be a successful team. And, you know, I look back at maybe the one guy who, who inherited it, not, not as good yet, but you look at Stan Bowman when he came into Chicago after Dale Talon, right? Like a lot of those pieces were built under Dale Talon. Now that, hey, um, Bowman had to make some good moves for them to win three cups, obviously. But, you know, he has a good foundation and Drury's going to have a good foundation. And if the Rangers have success on the ice, their fans are probably going to be like, well, our owner, we haven't really liked for many years anyway. So James Dolan can take on the the villain hat in New York because, you know, his fans, are they, the Ranger fans are diehards and they've supported that team for a lot. They've been a pretty competitive team for many years. The last few years, obviously not, but I would have to say it's Dolan. Like John Davidson's highly respected. Gordon did a lot of really good moves and, and I think he'll get a job. Like, you know, I wonder if the Vancouver Canucks would, would call up potentially both of them and bring them both in as a, as a duo, right? Is, is Jim Benning going to stay in Vancouver? You know, that ever since they haven't really replaced Trevor Linden. So I think, I think Davidson and, and, and Gorton are highly respected. People will look at what they've done and say, Hey, I, I think if, if you want another opportunity, there's going to be ones out there for both those guys. Yeah. Well, without a doubt, they transfer. This team is a good team. They got a good young crew and the Panarin deal is looking better and better by the minutes. Zabinajad, he turned it around the second half of the season, but all right, moving on. So there was all this talk of revenge. George Peros didn't do anything. He dropped the ball, in my opinion, not suspending this guy. What did you think was going to happen? Your, well, your you gut feeling. Yeah, honestly, John, I, I thought Brennan Smith for sure was going to go after Wilson. And he did. Um, I, I was a little surprised when I, cause I, when I looked up and the opening lineup and it didn't have Wilson in it, I was like, okay, it's got Hathaway. Sure. But then all of a sudden you're seeing like Rooney and Dowd <laughs> and guys who, who you wouldn't expect to go. And I, like, I wonder if the New York Rangers, like, let's say Wilson got suspended a game, right? Like, cause I thought he, he could have gotten a game just because they're, you know, for something like this wouldn't happen. But after everything that was said here in the last 48 hours, you know, Mark Messier, a legend in New York was asked and he says, well, Hey, I'm not sure the team's built properly to win in the street and the alley. And you kind of need both, you know, look what Tampa Bay did last year. They added guys like Maroon and Bogosian and Coleman and Goudreau and, you know, kept all their skill, but just added some skilled toughness. And, you know, you had a lot of the Ranger guys like Ryan Strom's fighting Eller, and maybe he fought him because what Eller said, you know, this morning about how Tom Wilson's misrepresented and what he did wasn't that bad. It happens every game, and he used the Crosby Connectney situation. So, you know, now you look at, I think the Rangers, even if Tom Wilson suspended, I think the Rangers felt like as a group, they kind of had, you know, their character questioned by a lot of people. So they internally said, we got to stand up for Panarin. And even if Wilson was suspended, I think we might've seen a few tilts. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think this, gosh, I, I said it before. I said there's either going to be zero fights just because everyone's so nervous and all eyes are on this game where there's going to be five to 10 and it turned out five to 10. And I think you're absolutely right. This was spurred on by Messier's comments. I'm guessing Drury had a talk with the team before the game, just to kind of calm everybody down, just give them the rundown, not exactly calm them down, but just to say, Hey, like, this is what's happening. I know when I was in Buffalo, we had, I think two presidents, three GMs and two coaches in a matter of three weeks (laughs) where it was just like a revolving door of front office people. So I like the response. I really do. Like you said, it wasn't the usual suspects. It was the the guys who you don't think are going to fight fights. The, the Stroms, the Haglins on Washington dropping the gloves. I think this is good for hockey. And then, yeah, you got the, the Tom Wilson thing out of the way with Brendan Smith. I think everybody knew that was going to happen. I would have liked if the Rangers would have called up a little more toughness. Brendan Smith is a tough guy. You know him. Yeah, he's he's not striking fear in Tom Wilson's eyes. Do you think they should have called up? They they have a pretty big guy in the HLs. This Gertson gets in. Yeah, Mason Gertson, who played for the Edmonton Oil Kings, actually. So I know Mason, tough kid from Drayton Valley, like really tough kid. And and you know what's funny, John, because I was talking about that with Strudwick, and I'd, I'd ask you the same. So you call up a guy from the minors who who's not really part of your team. And then he's got to be the guy kind of, well, we had to bring someone else and we couldn't even do it. Like, would that be even worse maybe to suggest that, geez, we got nothing that Brendan Smith would be like, Hey, wait a sec. I can do this myself. And Smith did fine in that tilt. Right. And and Wilson now, did he get hurt that fight? I don't know because he he didn't return after his 10 minute misconduct, but I, I thought it was probably better not to, because it would have like Gertzen would have loved that. He's a tough kid for sure. But I wonder if the team would have almost felt like, geez, we are as weak as everyone says, because now we got to call up a guy from our farm team to fight our own battles. Yeah, you're probably right. And the amount of pressure that would have been on Gertzen would have been massive. I, I couldn't even yeah. imagine. And I thought of that right, right away when all the people were calling for him. Get him up here. He's our savior. And it probably did turn out the right way. Like you said, it. this galvanized this team. Oh. And I hope they use this going into the offseason. I, I do think they will add toughness to address this because they're obviously overmatched. Even even in tonight's game, if you were to square off with everybody on Washington versus New York, it's it's yeah. now no competition. No, no, like they're they they they've got the John Scott in the league right now and Sedano Char. Like, are you kidding me? Like it's that's that's unfair, right? Like that's unfair. Like the Rangers are gonna be like Brendan Smith's like, are you joking? Right? Like Keandre Miller six foot five, but he doesn't fight, right? No. So They've like, and the Rangers, they need skilled toughness in today's game, right? Like they're like, you like Reeves can play in Vegas, right? Milan Lucic, he's overpaid, but he can play as tough guys. You know, Darnell Nurse can fight heavyweights and he plays 25 minutes a night. So, you know, the game's a little different now. And I think the Rangers just, they got to get a little bit more gritty skilled players now that can, that can play a role. And when, because they're going to be in their same division. It's not like the Capitals are going away and the Capitals have built a team based on like, even Mantha's a big guy. He was, yeah. you know, he was trying to get Bushnevich to fight tonight. And then Bushnevich probably going to get suspended, which is funny. <laughs> you know, the Wilson doesn't and Bushnevich probably for his cross check to the chops is going to get suspended. And, and, and you play John and you, you would know that, you know, having a guy like yourself is great, but you, you know, and, and I was laughing because people were like, yeah, but John went after Kessel. I'm like, no, he didn't. He like scared him. He didn't go after him. Yeah. And you need those other guys yeah. to be able to fight their own battles at some point. And in today's game now, more than ever, 
You need to have team toughness where you have Brennan Smith, but then you have two or three forwards like Zach Cassians and different guys around the league who can play, but can also go into the alley if you need to be, to quote Messier. Which makes their trade of Brendan Lemieux all the more puzzling. He he fit in great there. And all of a sudden uh, it makes me wonder if something happened between teammates or something, because he fit in great there. They they needed that grit and sandpaper. Now, like, gosh, they're so easy to play against. And this is, uh, you know, it's shown right now with the whole Tom Wilson fiasco, but anyways, moving on. Bushnevich is going to get five games. It's going to be great. Tom Wilson is going to be hurt for all of playoffs. So everything seems to work out. In the end, a suspension turns into an injury. Bushnevich gets suspended. So it's it's all just coming together nicely in this this soap opera that we call the Rangers Capitals. So you cover the Oilers. That's yeah. your team. Give us a, a synopsis of their season so far. Oh, McDavid's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, like what McDavid's doing. I I crunched the numbers today. Like you know, you got mess. You have a you know Gretzky and Lemieux who who had a hundred points in thirty games a few years, which is mind blowingly stupid. But and they did it in the forties. But then you had a lot of guys like Bernie Nichols and Curry did it in forty eight games, and Jagger did it in fifty two, and Patty Lafontaine in fifty five, and. Yeah, you know, I know I'm missing someone, but there was only like seven or eight guys who did it in fewer than 56 games. And McDavid's legitimately like he needs seven points to, to get to 100, in, and he's got five games. Like he's easily going to do it unless like he falls off a cliff. So, and the other thing is, then you throw in the reigning Hart Trophy winner and Art Ross winner, and Leon Drysaddle's on pace for 120 points. He's got 75 and 50. Like their top two guys are ridiculously good. Um, but this year. Like they're still not a cup contender. They need a few more pieces, but Darnell Nurse has emerged. Darnell Nurse this season is playing like a number one defenseman. You know, he he's he's got 16 goals tied for the second in the league. He's he leads the league in even strength goals. He's he's uh leads the league as defenseman in, in uh five on five goals. And the thing about it, John, is like his goals aren't just stand on the blue line, slap shots, get a screen, and 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 goalie doesn't see it. Like he's been beating goalies in the slot because he's a great skater and jumping in the rush. And it's, it's kind of being eye opening for nurse, but more importantly, he's improved his decision-making with and without the puck. He's not chasing guys in the defensive zone. Cause he's a freak athlete. Like he's really athletic guy. He skates very well. So that's helped him on the back end. Like he's played over 200 more minutes than any other defenseman on the orders. And Barry and Larson are their one and two defensemen on the right side. So he plays a ton. He's been hugely valuable for them. And then Mike Smith, who, who this year has been really good, but I think kind of got overlooked is if you go back to January of 2020 from January, 2020 till now, Mike Smith is a 31, nine and six. He's got a nine, 19 save percentage and like a two forty two goals against he's like sixth in save percentage in that time. He's 10th in goals against average. He's like fifth in wins. He's been really good other than the first period in the bubble last year after a four month layoff where, you know what? He showed up really late and I, I, I don't think he was into it. And I can, I can understand that a lot of guys weren't. So Mike Smith has been huge for Edmonton this year. I, I think they can beat either Montreal or Winnipeg. I, I don't think that's a big challenge. Montreal is, is not a great matchup because they're big defense, but when you've got the two best scores and you can split them up and then put them together on the power play, that's a big advantage. And, you know, I'd love to see an Edmonton Toronto North final. I'd be very intrigued to have Matthews and Marner and McDavid and dry You could have star power going head to head. So 
Why aren't they going to win the cup then? What's the reason? You you mentioned all these positive things. I, I think Nurse should contend for a Norris. Mike Smith is playing his best hockey of his career. You have the two best players in the NHL. This seems like a team that's locked and loaded for the Stanley Cup. Why why not this year? Well, John, we talked earlier. I don't think the well, a few things. Number one, I, I don't think they have enough experience, depth, and I don't think they have enough diversity of depth. Like right now, they've got a lot of, you know, Tyler Ennis, uh, Gaetan Haas, Yamamoto, Dominic Cahoon. They're all similar small players. Now, yeah. Yamamoto works his bag off, no problem about that, but he's also a buck 55. And you played in the playoffs, John. It's just everybody's more competitive and now it's the 16 best teams that go at it. And so when everyone's competitive levels higher size does matter. And so you play bigger. And so Edmonton doesn't have great depth. Um, Ryan McLeod's come up from the minors and and he's been a breath of fresh air that helps, Um, you know, even on the back end, like Tyson Berry, Ethan bear, Caleb Jones, Chris Russell, and now only one of Jones or Russell is going to be in, but that's still going to be three of your six defensemen who aren't overly big. And that, I think as you go deeper into the playoffs, that can be a concern. So it's something that's going to be rectified in the future. And I could Edmonton win the North. I do think they could, but to go three, four rounds deep with that lack of size up front and on the back end, I just, when I look at the last few Stanley cup winners, I just, they've Edmonton's got the skill for yeah. sure. Top end skill. They got a great goalie right now. It's playing excellent. You know, they got a, a number one defenseman, which you need, but it's just their depth there isn't. And I know some order fans were mad that Ken Holland didn't, you know, go for it this year and, and trade off a lot of more things. But I think this is the start of Edmonton into the cycle to be a cup contender. I don't think they're a cup contender yet, but I think they're, they can win a round or two for sure. I think this offseason with tons of cap space, more young guys in the system percolating, the next three or four years is really where you'll see the orders. You know, I, I would expect them to make at least one Stanley Cup final appearance in the next three. Wow, years. that's a bold statement considering who is in their division if they if they stay with these divisions, which I hope they don't. Now you mentioned Holland's movement at the deadline. And I and I found it frustrating because listen, I, I was born in Edmonton. I, I grew up listening to my parents talk about parting with the cup back in the day and this and that. It was frustrating to me that they they didn't make any moves. That, that would have been fine with me. The one move they did make is to bring in Kulikov. And if I were to look at the Oilers team, I thought the defense was okay. I thought they were in good shape. I didn't think they needed to add a piece. If they did, maybe get another puck-moving defenseman to kind of join that second power play unit, help out, you know, the rush a little bit. I didn't think they needed to add another stay at home, responsible defensively defenseman. And I think people were screaming for some grit, some secondary scoring to help out Connor and Leon, just like we've been screaming for the last five years. What did you make of this deadline? Did you want them to make a bigger splash or was it just like a slap in the face that they get Kulikov? Well, I actually like the Kulikov because like I mentioned earlier, Darnell nurses minutes. So he's played 1,061 minutes at five on five. The next highest left defenseman is Chris Russell at 543. Now he's missed some games, but they didn't have a second pair guy for the playoffs, right? I think Chris Russell or Jones, if they're in your third pair, no problem, but they missed a second pair. So Kulikov gives them some more size too. So now you have Nurse and Kulikov because you couldn't have went in with Russell, Jones, Bear, and Barry. It's just too small. So Kulikov helps you. Uh, you know, he, he, he's a, a playoff defenseman. He'll battle hard. 
every now and then he's got the ability to make like those five-star errors. So that's a concern. But <laughs> like when I, when I looked at Edmonton up front, what they needed was they really needed a top six left winger, right? Like Taylor Hall would have been perfect, but you know, they didn't really have the assets to give up to get him. And after that, like, I know there were some conversations for Mike Hoffman and then St. Louis at the end decided not to, because I don't think Edmonton was willing to trade a lot anyway. So that's really what they would have needed because as much as the order's bottom six doesn't produce a ton, you look at, so they've got McDavid, number one, dry settle, number two. Look at their top six left wingers and right wingers. Like, yes, a Pugliarvi's a young guy, I really like him. But, you know, his, his, you know, his five on five point totals, they're okay. But Yamamoto hasn't produced very well. Dominic Cahoon hasn't produced. Nugent Hopkins played over 400 minutes with McDavid and had like 10, eight points or something with the league's best guy. Like you get a second assist just by blowing on the puck sometimes. So that's been a concern for them. And I think that's something that they got to rectify moving forward. Um, They have enough like depth guys. If Cassian gets back and is healthy and and plays to his capabilities, I like James Neal as a playoff player, right? Jujar Kera, I think is fine. So they could have added another piece there, but I, I think it might've been just adding a piece because I don't think they're close. And, and I know that that might be hard for some people because you see McDavid and Dreisaitl, right? And hey, maybe they go on like a Pittsburgh Penguins 2009 run where Crosby and Malkin just carry the team offensively and, you know, you get good defense. And, and Edmonton's been winning with that. Like they've figured out how to reduce their goals against. So, yeah, their defense has been good this year. Yeah, like their goals against has gone down a lot. So I think Kulikov helps them. It's not great, but... I can understand why some people were frustrated. I've seen, I, I think Edmonton needed four pieces to be a legit cup contender. So adding one, you could have done it, but it it might've just been wasting a top asset because to get one of those good pieces probably would have cost them their first round pick. Yeah. You mentioned James Neal, Kyle Turris just got called up. They put Neal on the taxi squad. What, what's going on there? Are, are these guys going to be legit pieces for the playoffs? How is this going to shake out in the roster when you have these two guys who you know, their best years are behind them, but they're proven playoff performers. Do they fit in the in the puzzle somewhere? Well, I look at James Neal. James Neal has 23 goals in his last 82 games, dating back to last year, regular season, this year in the playoffs. And and this year, he like he's dealt with COVID and then the after effects of COVID, and it's hit him hard. Like he, you know, even he got COVID, right? He had a really good offseason, I was told. Then he gets COVID in December. He comes to training camp. He's done, right? So he's playing catch up. Then he gets into the games and he, and you can tell he just, he doesn't have his legs. And then he got sick again, not with COVID, but I, I just, he had like immune breakdown. So he was down for another seven to 10 days. So, and John, you would know this. Imagine doing that twice in a year, just trying to get your conditioning back to play at the NHL level. And so they didn't play him last night, just out of a rest. You know, Kyle Turris hasn't played in a month. So they get him some games. They're playing Vancouver. It's like a pre season game no offense to the Canucks they're depleted they're injured and they're you know ravaged by COVID so Edmonton can beat those guys kind of for fun honestly right now <laughs> so they you're, you're getting those guys like Lagesson played some games Bouchard will play some games they'll do that Thursday and Saturday against Vancouver again look at their lineup next week against Montreal James Neal's going to be in their playoff lineup for sure he was re- he was really good in the bubble last year in the postseason he's built for playoffs he's a big guy strong he's got good hands he plays rugged and I think they like him, Kara, and Chase on as a. They were good in the in the bubble, so I think they'll try to go with him again. Turris, I don't think he plays. 
Torres has been awful this year for Edmonton. He's admitted it. He's, it's been an off year for him. You know, it sucks. Like he's a married guy. He's been living in his basement. Doesn't really see his kids. Like I think that weighs on a guy, no question. But his his competitive drive early on just wasn't there. He'll try to regroup in the off season. I, I assume and come back. Uh, you know, I don't. There's no reason to buy him out. You know, because you could put him in the minors and he only cost you five twenty five against the cap next year. So I think James Neal to answer your question is definitely going to be a piece to, to start in their, in their bottom six and on their, on their power play with him and chase on our net front presence. He's got really good hands down low, but Turris, you know, not with Ryan McLeod, not with Jujar Kara. Heck Devin Shore is ahead of, of Turris at this point. So if the season ended today, they're going to play the wash or the Winnipeg jets. Excuse me. I got Washington on my mind. You, you kind of, you, you, you find that a better matchup than Montreal. I, I, Gosh, at the beginning of this season, even midway through the season, I thought Winnipeg was the biggest threat to Toronto. I felt like they were they were made really well. They obviously are, are lacking on the back end. I felt like their forwards could keep up with Toronto better than any other forwards in this division. Why do you think Edmonton matches up with them so well where you would say, listen, we'd rather play Winnipeg over Montreal when I think when you just look at the the lineups, Winnipeg has so much more dangerous firepower up front. And I think their goalies are a wash because Hellebuck and Price can steal a series by themselves if, if they really get hot. How, is it just the bigger defensemen in Montreal that make you a little more apprehensive about the matchup? Well, to me, it's all style. Winnipeg likes to pr- play free wheel, right? They like to attack through the neutral zone and that exposes the neutral zone and Edmonton will crush you. McDavid and Drysaddle are, are arguably the two best uh, at generating offense on the rush through the neutral zone with speed. And, you know, Edmonton went seven and two against the Jets this year and, and they kind of dominated him. And the other thing is Nikolai Ehlers is out. Yeah. Nikolai Ehlers is the biggest driver of five on five play on the Jets. Speed, tenacity, he has it all. And he, even if he comes back, John, I think he's coming back at 70, 80%, and he's not going to be the same Nikolai Ehler. So that's the reason why. Now, the Jets and the Habs are tied, you know, as we're having this conversation. They each have five games left. Now, Edmonton does play Montreal twice, as does Toronto. So, you know, Montreal has a harder schedule, but the Jets have lost nine in a row. Like, they're they're not sliding in the ditch. Like, they're all teetering on going off the cliff. So I just think Winnipeg's a better matchup because they, they the style they play fits Edmonton's guys. And Winnipeg's defense is not close to Montreal's. Like Montreal plays more of a, you know, grind it out. You got Shea Weber and Edmondson and Chariot and Petrie and Romanoff. Like they're mobile, they're big, they cross check like anything. They're built for the playoffs. Now they don't have the top end skill in Montreal. And so that's why I still think Edmonton, you know, McDavid had six points the last two games against Montreal. Like even like, I know they shut him down earlier, but you don't shut down McDavid full time. If, if you did, everybody would do it. You can't do it. Every team tries to, you just, you can't shut down the elite of the elite. They eventually figure it out. And those two games next week, I think are, are to me because Edmonton has four in a row against Vancouver. And honestly, it's no offense to Vancouver. They're not that talented and now they're depleted. It's kind of like a preseason game. I've watched like the last two. two. Game, there was, yeah. There's, there's no hitting. So I think Edmonton will try to ratchet it up against those two games. And um, Winnipeg is a better matchup, but, but I don't think Edmonton's fearful of Montreal because Montreal doesn't have the top end talent. Like, they have a big down the middle. They're not close to Edmonton. And that could be the difference maker too, because you know, the way Edmonton's played defense, they can grind it out and just say, you know what, we'll take our chances and just play tight that McDavid has one shift or dry settle. And that wins us the game. So if everything goes to plan and, and I want the same scenario as you, they both get through the first round. It's going to be Toronto and Edmonton. 
They're matching up in the North Division Finals. Toronto's going to be an overalling favorite. They, they've, yeah. they've ran through this division throughout the whole year. They've had a couple hiccups. Not that much. They, they've, they've been pretty consistent throughout the whole year. They're going to be healthy. Edmonton's going to be healthy. We'll assume both, those thi- both of those things. What does Edmonton have to do to get by Toronto? You know, it's interesting since February 1st, Edmonton has a better record than Toronto, right? Edmonton just started bad in January. Um, and, and Edmonton, like everybody remembers the three games, March 1st, 3rd and 5th, Edmonton was awful. Like they were awful and Toronto spanked them. Like those, those might've been Toronto's most three complete games and Edmonton's worse. And like they out, they just dominated. It was ugly. They shut them out twice. McDavid didn't have a point in three straight games. Like that's not happening again. Right. But if Edmonton's going to beat Toronto, there's a few things that have to happen. A, they can't soil the sheets like they did that uh, those three games in March, they've got to be better. And what Edmonton has to play a patient game because Toronto can skate, but Toronto's learned how to, how to not, allow Edmonton to attack in the neutral zone. And so McDavid and Drysaddle kind of had to, to tweak and there was frustration shown. So, you know, it was only three games because the other six, it was three, three. So I think Edmonton, what they would have to do is I think Edmonton can match up their top six can match up against Toronto's, but it's really their third and fourth lines would, you would need James Neal and Kara and Archibald and McLeod. Those guys would have to be better for sure if they want to have a chance, I, I could see that being a, you know, a seven game series with, with a lot of star power. And it's funny, John, some of those games, both teams played like really defensive. They didn't give up much, you know, they clogged up the neutral zone, which is not what you'd expect when Edmonton and Toronto plays, but the big wild card in this is goaltending is Freddie Anderson ready. And is Jack Campbell a guy you can ride in the postseason? That's the one big question mark that Toronto has. And I know that Anderson's playing a half game in the AHL as we speak. So, you know, we'll see. Can he be ready for the playoffs? And if he isn't, and like Toronto, whoever gets him in the first round, let's say you beat the Leafs in game one. Like I wonder about the psyche of the Maple Leafs if they lose game one and all of a sudden it's like, oh man, because they haven't won, they haven't got out of the first round, right? And yeah. that, that, that's going to weigh on them a little bit, I think. And who who do you see them playing first game in the playoffs? Just say they they split time from here on out. They both you know yeah, reasonably similar stats. I think it's going to be Edmonton Montreal the way Winnipeg's playing right now. Like I think Montreal is going to find a way to win three of their five games. And I'm and even though the Jets have the easier schedule, although they do have Vancouver twice, so maybe I should rethink that. You know what? They got Vancouver twice. I'll take the Jets <laughs> because like Vancouver, honestly, like the, the one benefit to the Canucks. They might look at Buffalo. They just won two more games. Vancouver yeah. literally might finish 31st now because of COVID and have the best odds to get the top pick. That'd be good for them. They deserve it. Gosh, what a bad season they've had. Just an atrocious. Okay. Yeah. Well, fast forward. Who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs? Just a couple more questions. What, what do the Edmonton Oilers do with the UFAs? Mike Smith's been great. Tyson Berry has been playing fantastic. Do they let these guys hit the open market? Do they do they reload with Mike Smith and hopefully he kind of catches fire again? He's going to be almost 40 years old next year. What do they do with this team, with their um, un, unrestricted free agents? You know, John, it's a great question. And I've said this, Ken Holland for the last two years didn't have a lot of cap space. You know, he, he made some good bets that worked out. Like Tyson Berry's been a great one-year signing. Mike Smith, excellent this year. Even last year, Mike Smith numbers were okay. Um, you know, Kyle Turris hasn't worked out, but it's not a financially crushing one. You know, the only contract that you question really is majorly is maybe the Cassian one. Um, 
because A, he's probably not going to play much in the playoffs this year. And, you know, did he have to give that guy four years? So we'll see. But he's kind of built for the playoffs. But this summer is where Holland's going to make his money because it's crucial for them. You've got Nugent Hopkins, you got Barry, you got Larson, and you got Mike Smith, right? So, like, Barry's been very, he's your third leading scorer. Right. Adam Larson plays a really tough minutes for your team. And so you've got Evan Bouchard coming, but Evan Bouchard's probably more poised and more stylistic to, to play for Barry. But can he play first pairing minutes as a rookie? Like you don't win cups doing that. So, you know, they could move Ethan Bear up. Um, in theory, I would say Larson makes the most sense to resign instead of Barry because you have Bouchard coming. But it's not a hundred percent. So it all depends on how much you want. Tyson Berry is likely going to get some bigger money, but some people might look and say, yeah, but he's getting points because he's playing with McDavid and dry settle. And there's some validity to that for sure. I think that's, that's a valid point to a point. Tyson Berry's still being the eighth most points of a defenseman over eight years. So it's not just because of McDavid and dry settle. He's a pretty skilled guy. He's got some defensive weaknesses. Nugent Hopkins is the big one for me because I like Nugent Hopkins as a player but he's not a $6 million player in my eyes. He isn't. And, and that's a tough decision. And, and it's all about term, John, for me. That's, I have argued this for years. Term is where teams get killed. And the Edmonton owners can't go. I wouldn't go longer than five years with, on any of those three forwards. You're definitely only going five. One that's a lot of term there, Jason. Oh, well, that's boy. the most. I would go shorter. I was like, going to say I would, three. I would try to go like four years, three years for Larson because he's a defensive defenseman. Mm -hmm. right? So, because you might be able to replace him with Travis Hamanick right for for a one or two year deal so the thing that holland has going for him is like look we mentioned toronto can they afford zach hyman well they can't unless they make some trades if you're edmonton and you could sign zach hyman blake coleman and let's say five million for hyman at whatever term and, and two million for coleman you get those guys for seven million that fills up two spots on your left side in two different holes so you know ken holland he the advantage he has is you can go to every free agent winger and say, hey, you want right. to, Mike Kaufman, do you want to sign here for a year to play with McDavid and Dry Settle and, and maybe score 35? Like you've scored 30 goals without them. What could you score with them? Yeah, they, they make it so much more enticing for any player. You're playing with the two best players in the NHL. They make the game so easy. All right. Just a yes or no. Are they going to re sign Mike Smith? No. Danuge? Yes. Larson? Yes. Barry. No. Oh, okay. We're going to check back in four yeah. months and see how you did. I know. Cause honestly, I could be, I could be oh for four. Like I think they'll sign two of them, but they might, they might sign Barry and Smith and let the other two walk. Like I think what happens with Mike Smith, they go to free agency like they did last year. They look around to see and say, Hey Mike, well, you know, but Mike Smith had such a good year. Other teams might want to sign him for one year, right? So that's that's the risk for, for do you wait? But goaltenders, John, like I could I I have talked to goalie guys. Most of them it seemed to from year to year they change. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. Like at least with Nugent Hopkins, Larson, and Barry, you kind of know what you have in those players. So you evaluate, hey, we know if we get Tyson Barry, he's going to help in our power play. He's going to move the puck. He's got some defensive weaknesses. No question. Adam Larson, physical, strong, kill penalties, play tough minutes. All the D zone starts. Doesn't bring you much offense. Nugent Hopkins can play winger center. The problem with Nugent Hopkins is he hasn't produced a lot of five on five. He's an excellent power play player, but he hasn't produced, produced a lot of five on five. So what's that going to be worth? If Nugent Hopkins thinks he's going to get six mil, I, I, I think then he'll leave. It's, 
you know, if, if he wants the right term and cost, I think Edmonton would like to have him. He's valuable. He does him and his wife do tons in the community, but that's going to be a business decision. It's going to be, a yeah, tough I one. think I'm, he's going to test. He'll test the free market. And I, I don't think the number will be there for him. Okay. Much like other guys did it this off season. And I, I think guys were a little surprised, but how little amount of money there is to spend in Edmonton. They have some cap space. This is going to be valuable for them. This oh, is going to be a big like off season. This summer builds them for the next few years. You you can't get locked up in bad term contracts, but you also have to make sure that you fill out your roster now that you have some cap space with some good players so McDavid and Drysaddle can take a deep run next year. No, without a doubt. All right, so you are crazy knowledgeable. You just rattle off left and right stats and opinions. It's beautiful talking to you. I love this interview. What is it like hosting a show with a guy who has infinite more knowledge than you and Frank Saravelli? How is that possible? Because that guy is insanely smart. And then I, and then I talk to you and you're insanely smart. Like what is me and Tim are dummies compared to you two guys. How do you do it? Uh, you know what? It's, it's fun. I'm uh Hey, John, I knew it. I knew it at a pretty good age. I was like, I loved hockey, but I, I was never that like, I was okay at it, but I was never good. I, you know, my brother was a way better player than me. He played minor pro and I was, it was just never an interest for me, but I've always had a good memory. I love stats. I started reading the paper back when I was a kid, not to date myself. And I read it every day. My mom really uh, instilled a, a thirst for knowledge and education. So I've, I've read the stats my whole life and I like it. I like learning and reading. And so um, I think to host a radio show, you have to read and study every day because you get so many questions off the cuff from listeners. And if I had time to research everything every day, it'd be easy. So you, you, you know, obviously there's days I go in with guests and I do my research, but um, I just, I like studying and reading all the time. I read probably three, four hours a day, just, you know, different stats, whatever. Cause I like it, but it interests me. And so it makes it fun. And so with Frank, you know, Frank's got lots of, uh, you know, insider, uh, uh, input to get, you know, great guests and stuff. So I think we, we balance each other very well. It's a lot of fun. No, it definitely comes across you guys check out Jason, the DFO rundown. What is it? Dailyfaceoff.com. That's, that's where they can find everything. Yeah. They can find it there anywhere you get your, uh, you know, on Apple or Spotify, anywhere you get your, your podcasts, uh, the DFO rundown. And, uh, you know, we're happy to have you. We're in the same chain, I guess, technically now, John. So uh, I don't know the, the nation they call it. Yeah. The, yeah, the nation, uh, the nation that well, I'm actually I'm one of the owners, um, of, of the nation. We started like many moons ago. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun bringing you on. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and you bring a different, uh, a different viewpoint of it. And, and, and I like uh, how you present it. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the guests. I enjoy listening to it. You're I'm one of the, I, I should have been way nicer to, to you to come on. I didn't know you were the owners. I would have been a lot more cordial had I uh, known. No, no, don't No, That's not <laughs> it at all. I'm, I'm a minority owner. I'm a minority owner. <laughs> that's funny. Well, listen, Jason, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Tim, always a pleasure talking to you. It was just a blast. You bring so much to the show week in and week out. It's just honestly great. <laughs> Tim had a little mic issue. So we had to just go Jason and John tonight. It actually worked out really good. But anyways, Jason, can we get you back on when the Oilers are playing the Leafs oh, in dude, the second I, I round? Oh so, man, because that, that'll be so like the playoffs this year in all the divisions. I'm so excited to watch like teams have played each other at least eight times, sometimes nine or 10, depending. They're going to hate each other come playoff time. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm so excited for that. And then I'm excited to see the dynamics once they do get to the final four. It's going to be just, it's going to be so, I, I'm excited to see how these, these teams react because it'll literally be period by period, just 
reaction. It'll be like chess on the ice because you won't know these teams at all. You won't know how your players are going to react. I'm, I'm super excited. But anyways, we'll have you back on once the Oilers and the Leafs are playing and we'll, we'll break it down again, my friend. So thank you again for coming on. Check out Jason, the DFO rundown d- weekly, daily. Uh, we're, uh, we, our pods drop Mondays and Fridays. All right. Check it out, everybody. Jason, thank you for uh, coming on, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 